0: Wiggly Wigglers podcast 16 comes to you direct from Wiggly Wigglers in Blakemere, Herefordshire, England. I'm sat here on the sofa with Richard and I'm going to try and describe to new listeners what Wiggly Wigglers is about. Go for it. It's tough. I think it is if you're at all interested in your natural surroundings and what you can do as an individual to help things along, we're for you. But now over to Richard for this week's slogan. Bring it on, boy.
1: Okay. <laughs> Podcasting into a pool of fun and frivolity and the fruits of nature.
0: Oh, thinking about the three main things that we do, I thought it'd be worth just mentioning each of them. Composting. Perhaps you'd like to stop putting your waste into landfill. Lots and lots of ways of composting, worm composting, making Bokashi, conventional composting, cold composting. And there's a new blog by Amanda Bowen who's just got a can of worms, and she's blogging about it. Right. Um, so if you want to see how she gets on with hers, go to petworms.blogspot.com. She's got a rain cap on at the moment because she's got her can of worms outside, and she's just started adding waste. Right. Exciting, isn't it? Yeah,
1: it'll be interested to see how it goes. Yeah.
0: Bird feeds and seeds. Phil mixes and bags all are bird feeds and seeds. And we must ask Phil next week about his three thousand bouncy balls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to tell you, Richard. We've got a new product. We've got layers mash for chickens with four percent added Bokashi. It's good for the chickens because you've got friendly bacteria or probiotic. Right. But it also helps with odor control. All oh, right. And it trialled all over the world. Wow. Yeah. That'd be interesting. quite exciting. And the last thing that we do is wildflowers and habitats. Alison grows all our wildflowers with Rob and produces lots and lots of hedging. So I just want sort to of give you a briefest overview before we move on to what's happened at Wiggly Wigglers this week. And you've been in the papers this week, Richard. Well, the Hereford Times,
1: yeah. yeah well, we've got this in- interesting situation, haven't we, in Herefordshire? Because people tend to recognise Wigglies as being the worm people. Yeah. So, and of course, we're, you know, we're a lot more than that now. So you know, it's important to get ourselves in a bit of local media. There's an interesting story behind this. When we were at Chelsea last year, a school, one of the schools called Shedding Dean Primary School, had sponsorship to do a garden at the show. And they had this lovely compost bin that looked just like a cottage, you know, as a design made up by the children. So you know, they had so much positive feedback from all the people that were looking at their garden that they came up to us and they asked us whether or not it might be something that we could build and sell and then, you know, give a donation to the school that everyone we sold. We thought, brilliant idea, we could do that, we could do that. So anyway, after having had the thing made, we realised that it wouldn't be financially viable. So slightly unfortunate. However, having made one, we thought, well, we've got this thing now, what can we do with it? So we had a school's competition the schools competition was for one of the pupils in the school to say why composting was beneficial. And the best entry was from Madley Primary School which interestingly enough was just down the road from us so I took the compost cottage down to the school and presented it to Daniel the young man who won it and uh, and the Hereford Times came down and took some great photographs and of course those were what was in the paper this week. Um, But interestingly enough again we're working with Madley School on an exciting initiative where they're looking to increase biodiversity across the whole of their school grounds and tie in all the different initiatives in those school grounds with their school curriculum. So incorporate working in those school grounds either They're identifying bugs, gardening, pond dipping, all those kind of things, into their lesson planning. And they're also conscious that to make a real impact, they need to involve all the parents and all the teachers that are involved in the school.
0: When you say increasing biodiversity, my mind just goes then. What are they going to do?
1: Well, increasing biodiversity is an interesting word, biodiversity. Somebody said to me the other day, um, we used to call biodiversity wildlife.
0: In in many
1: respects that's the case, but it's just a question of increasing the extent and the diverse wildlife, the, the diverse biology in that green space. So it's to be able to encourage as many creatures as is physically possible into that space. So we're looking at planting various native species that encourage wildlife, putting in habitat boxes... Bug boxes, bee boxes, hoggy homes, all those kind of things. Bird boxes, obviously. Pond? Uh, Ponds. They've they've got a pond, interestingly enough, but we're going to to look at ways of making that more accessible.
0: It's in my world, it's wiggly gardening, isn't it? It's
1: wiggly gardening, natural gardening. That's what it's all about. Yeah, it's as simple as that.
0: Fantastic. So, well done, Daniel, and we'll send Richard back.
1: (laughs) 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 Back where? Where am I going back to? (laughs) We let him out.
0: (laughs) <laughs> we'll get him back, yeah. and then we'll send him back to you. <laughs> the Wiggly Podcast.com wiggles. We spoke to Jane Peroni, and I went to a link from her blog, to Guardian Unlimited, and there's a wonderful article by Adam Nicholson on hedgehogs which I know you've read.
1: Brilliant article. It's one of the best sort of animal articles I've, I've read, I think, in a broadsheet.
0: Mm, I think we have to give it a milker rating.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yep, for articles. For sure. yep.
0: The problem seems to be that they've identified that hedgehogs are dying out at a rate of about a fifth of the population every four years. And that would mean, if that is the case, that by 2025, they're all gone. That's um, worrying,
1: isn't it? That's a really yeah. disturbing statistic.
0: What do you make of it?
1: Well, I, I think there's probably, there's a lot of truth in it. Uh, it's interesting the way, the way they've assessed the, uh, the decline in hedgehog population. The, the way the survey's been conducted is that they've looked at the amount of road kills uh, over the last sort of how many years they've realised that there are far fewer road kills now. And this is something that we've talked about previously, because I've often thought, well, either there are less hedgehogs around, because for sure you do see less hedgehogs on the road dead, or they're wising up to road traffic. And uh, it's interesting that in this article it says that hedgehogs aren't the brightest of creatures, and whilst they can find their way home, there's an example in the, in the article that in Russia a hedgehog was released somewhere like 48 miles away from where it was caught, across the tundra, and it managed to waddle its way all the way back home. They aren't the brightest of things, and there's one instance where uh, one hedgehog owner, so to speak, tried to teach its hedgehog to open a little red door for its lunch 4,000 times.
0: (laughs) (laughs) He had nothing on, did he? Um, Nothing on. So (laughs) did it work? Did it work? Did he get the lunch? No,
1: looked the other way all Uh the time.
0: Uh Aha. Yeah. Oh. So you're saying that they're not it's not that it's they're being clever enough to avoid no, the road that's right they seriously aren't They yeah aren't.
1: they've said in this article again there are a combination of reasons why the hedgehogs are, are in decline but they're not exactly sure it's a combination of reasons like road traffic is a really big bad enemy of hedgehogs and the fact that we've got thriving populations of badgers and foxes in the countryside now hedgehogs are you know a, a really a favorite treat for badgers
0: And we spoke about not tidying up your garden too much, Mm. and that's a classic thing that is bad for hedgehogs too much tidiness is bad isn't it it is why is that rich
1: you know if they're going to hibernate in the winter they need those old piles of leaves and bits of neglect i mean again you know it's a classic case of nature thriving on neglect you know they like to sort of ensconce themselves in the butt of that unkempt hedge or the or the bottom of the big pile of compost or the the big pile of brush that you've cut from your apple tree during the autumn of the year before
0: had i better read the philip larkin poem do that In June 1979, he was pushing his mower, a qualcast Commodore, through his garden. And he wrote this. The mower stalled twice. Kneeling, I found a hedgehog jammed up against the blades. Killed. It had been in the long grass. I had seen it before and even fed it once. Now I had mauled its unobtrusive world, unmendably. And he put down his qualcast Commodore mower and he never mowed there Again,
1: yeah. It's to see. It's a classic case, isn't it? A lesson well learned, but a bit late.
0: Yeah, but what a classic, fantastic excuse not to mow your lawn.
1: Absolutely. Forget it. Yeah, don't do it.
0: Have a cup of tea. Piece of cake. <laughs> yeah. Fruit cake. Relax. Read the paper. <laughs> okay. Some fruit cake. Yeah. Don't mow the lawn.
1: Yeah, good idea.
0: Now, just before we move on to the hedgerow row with Richard and Phil the Farmer. I heard Richard in the office this morning talking about rocking horse manure and snipe. Yeah. And that was the second time I've heard snipe and rubbish mentioned. So what are you on about, Rich?
1: We've all seen this article haven't we, in our local paper in the Hereford Times and I heard a, a radio show on BBC Hereford and Worcester when I was coming back from the train station the other night and they were talking about a snipe making a comeback in the county. In fact, the headline above the article in the Hereford Times says Snipe make comeback to county. So it's inaccurate, isn't it, Phil?
2: Well, it could be that it's just late reporting, because if they made their comeback 100 years ago, that would explain why there's so many of them now, because arsenide were in good order. So perhaps it's just a bit of delayed information. I think it's a bit delayed.
1: It's, it's it's a bit inaccurate. There is a big reserve just uh, on the outskirts of Hereford called the Sturts, and it's a big area that the uh, the Heritage Nature just got funding from. I think it was probably Heritage Lottery Fund to buy. They've gone down to this reserve, and every year they see a whole bunch of snipe down there, and they seem to think that they you know they've got more snipe this year than ever, but. If they had, and this isn't the criticism, but if they had more of a kind of overview of all the surrounding landscape, the snipe that the surrounding landowners were able to see on their land, then they'd have a, a, more of an indication of, of real population numbers.
0: Population so, density. have we got any and have you seen any?
2: We've got loads of snipe, particularly down on our land by the river, where they, this time of year, they love to, to roost in the arable crops. They stand out in the The arable fields, particularly grassy, they seem to like, but corn, whatever.
0: Are they a game bird? Tell us a bit about the bird itself.
2: It is a game bird, and Mm. they are shot in season as a game bird and eaten, although I must say I've never actually eaten one. They're a small, long-beaked water bird, so that they're, I suppose you'd describe them, Rich, as sort of something like, they're a little bit like a woodcock, aren't they? Only yeah, smaller. They're like a they're, they're they're smaller about sort of half the size
1: of a woodcock, aren't they? But they're an inland wader. Mm, that's the word I was looking that's for. Yeah, uh, that's the that's the proper description, I guess. But uh, so they have really long bills that so they're probing into soft you know wetland areas for grubs, worms, whatnot. In much the same way as you'd see oyster catchers and dunnans probing for. Crustaceans in the along the, the beachfront. If you go through, down for a walk on the seaside in winter,
0: any snipe impression coming forth?
1: They, they make a grunting sound, don't they, Phil? When yeah, they, they get off the ground, of
2: grunting, or it's like a sort of cross between a chirrup and a whistle as yeah. they fly. And they fly. I suppose the description is like doing constant barrel rolls. They they go from side to side, and they're very elusive birds. They fly quickly and erratically,
1: but they do zigzag. Get off the ground. They they make their little grunting sound and
0: So. Sniper here anyway, but it's great if they've made a comeback at Kinnersley.
2: Well, I think the great thing is that there are plenty of snipe around, but they're very shy. They like quiet. They don't like to be disturbed. So that it's good to be able to report that the newspaper article was a little bit inaccurate. But it's probably best to report that if they found more snipe coming back in the Sturts. That's good news, because there weren't that many there before, perhaps, because it's a bit close to
0: the town. Oh, yeah. listener, they do go on. They're just trying to avoid the moment. <laughs> they are <laughs> trying to avoid the hedgerow right. <laughs> we don't want a row, We said. We probably agree, they said. They don't. And so, in the red corner, we have yeah. Farmer Phil. Farmer Phil in the red corner, and in the blue corner, we have Richard Fishbourne. Obviously, I would like to be the bird who carries around the um, round number with the sparkly swimsuit.
1: Yeah, because I could could see you in a little (laughs) (laughs) crop top.
0: But but I can't be that because we need an impartial commentator. So I'm going to be Ari.
2: Right. Carpenter. Okay, I think that, uh, given I've had a slight inkling as to Richard's views on the subject, he ought to be in the green corner rather than the blue one. Oh, very funny, very very funny. The
0: background to this is, from the environmental point of view, hedges are a wonderful wildlife habitat and have decreased in terms of acreage over the years due to farmers grubbing them out, which has affected wildlife. That's Mm. the environmental point of view... From the farmer's point of view, the farmer planted the hedge in the first place, so at which point of time are you going to call conservation? It's a tool for farming, it's a boundary, it's something useful, and whether they take them in or out is their business. So, round one.
1: Ding! Guess what sparked this discussion? We, we touched on this on our last podcast, or perhaps a podcast before, but Heather and I were, were driving over to a community farm weren't we, in North Shropshire the other day. Yeah. And to be honest, I was like, hedged out. <laughs> I'd <don't> had <have> enough <laughs> hedge talk. <laughs> so to find, to find out that I was talking about hedges again this morning, oh joy. But, uh, <laughs> but my feeling is that it's interesting. A lot of organic farmers, they have their hedges and they don't cut their hedges every year. So they don't cut them annually, they cut them every three years. The reason being, generally, is because there are various micromoths and butterflies, like um, brimstone and hair streaks, for instance, that rely on the hedging plants as uh, food for their larvae. So in order for those creatures to complete their life cycles, they leave the hedges. They don't they didn't cut them at a maximum every, every three years. So it means that there are several generations of um, micromoths and uh, butterflies, for instance, that are able to complete.
0: I think that's a right hook for Richard. Bring it back, Farmer Phil.
2: Well, hedges, by their nature, are going to be a compromise for something or other. But the view I take is that if you treat a hedge in such a way that it impairs its health as a plant, then you are compromising it as anything, whether it's a farmer's tool or a wildlife habitat. So that your management of the hedge must mean that it stays healthy. With regard to things like moss, I must admit I'd never heard of this requirement for hedges and you commented Richard the other day that they particularly like the ends of the twigs in the hedge and my comment would be well there are ends in a correctly trimmed hedge anyway and if you trim a hedge after 3 years growth it ruins it and it will kill it and how, uh, how,
1: how then do organic farmers get away with it without killing their well, hedges well
2: the, the trouble is that they've been told <coughs> that this is what they want that this best for them to do yeah And I think that they've been told wrongly. And if you talk to people who care about their hedges and look after them, you won't find anybody to argue with you. And the point is that the argument that's been given to us as farmers is that you should do this because it saves you money and provides more habitat. But it doesn't save us money because the hedge takes much more cutting after three years' growth, and it looks as if you've shot it afterwards. And in a gardening context, if a gardener goes to prune a plant, he doesn't hack the piece off, he cuts it off with a nice clean cut. And the same goes for hedges. That If you smash the ends, disease gets in, the hedge dies. And I can show you hedges that have been smashed to death. But and aren't
1: hedges smashed to death on an annual basis?
2: No, if you look at a correctly flail-trimmed hedge, it's only cutting one-year-old growth, so it's gradually getting bigger. You have a nice clean cut because you cut it when the stem is still sappy. The idea of cutting the hedge in the wintertime is wrong because it goes hard and you'll see where the, the flail cuts it. Yeah. That's an old fashioned idea because years ago when we used to cut hedges with a cutter bar trimmer, you cut them in the winter because the cutter bar trimmer worked better and you got the time to do it. Right. Ah there's my right. phone. There's your phone. <laughs> <laughs> Saved by the bell.
0: Oh, round two <laughs> <laughs> I think there was a few jabs by Phil, but you know, he's not doing too well. Phil Um, (laughs) Poor (laughs) Phil. Phil thinks he is doing well. (laughs) I'm sure he is. Are you saying that if you cut your hedge every three years that you ruin it? And if so, wouldn't that mean that every organic farmer didn't have a, a nice hedge? Is that what you're saying? I'm
2: saying that in my view, and I believe that our hedge is a testament to this view, that a correctly trimmed hedge annually is better for all concerned, both farmers, wildlife, everything else, than any other way of doing it, and that flail trimming of hedges has been given a bad name by bad practice, and the advice that is being dished out is frankly wrong. Is it, oh, it's is it, is it, is
0: it's an uppercut. He was going to maul yeah. you to death, yeah. but he finished <laughs> off with an uppercut. Oh. <laughs> Get up, Richard.
1: Okay, I'll just I'll struggle <laughs> to my feet. I'll struggle to my feet. I, it's interesting, I feel. Mean, I kind of appreciate some of what you're saying, but it's interesting when you're being slightly presumptuous in that you're saying that organic farmers are assuming that they're doing the right thing by cutting their hedges every three years purely because they've been told that that's the case. But the reality is that there are lots of organic farmers right the way across the UK from Devon to Norfolk to North Yorkshire that cut their hedges every three years. Now, as a consequence of cutting their hedges every three years, they have seen an increase in small mammals, but also bat populations. And that is as a consequence of a lot of the larvae of the micromoths, for instance, being able to to come to fruition. And micromoths do provide a valuable food source for bat populations. Again, you see, it's it's, it's finding a bit of middle ground, but the bat populations don't only decrease because they lose habitat, because again, we've got the symptom of the tidiness the countryside which you're referring to because you're saying that your hedges need to be tidy and really you've got there's a slight mindset in that you're thinking that that your hedges should be tidy which they do fair play your hedges are aesthetically pleasing but they could provide more habitat for wildlife so whilst it might take a little bit more effort a bit more time might be slightly more difficult to cut the hedge in a reasonable way every three years they've seen the benefits of doing that.
0: Wow. I mean, I mean, I mean the, so the, uh, just a you minute, know, I mean, the chemistry and, in the and room, the other, I mean, you think is, this well is I, the joke, there's a well big row on now. While well I'm
1: flowing, Well, I'm flowing, I, I have the, you know, I have the Actually, highest... Actually, I think highest,
0: you've highest,
1: had enough time. No, no, uh, no, no, no I have the, you know, I have the highest regard for Phil, and, and, and I appreciate he's a good human being, and he <laughs> and he farms, he does farm sympathetically, but the hedges here could be better, they could be better. Oh. And they're very tidy, they're nice, they're cut in a nice kind of A shape as uh, you know, as a traditional hedges are cut. And there's plenty of height, but my feeling is that they could be denser and they could be wider. It's in many respects, Phil, you'll appreciate this, size isn't always everything. <laughs> How did you know?
0: I <laughs> must stop Richard here because <laughs> Farmer <laughs> Phil loves his hedges. He's won awards for yeah, his hedges. Yeah. His hedge is part of his person <laughs> and his eyes have gone steely grey.
1: I'm going to going to. punch in. Yeah. I really have my indigestion. I,
0: I really think you're in danger. Uh, uh, so I have to give him a chance because they're his hedges. Yeah. He loves them.
2: Yeah, absolutely. The, the right, the compose thing, yourself. Yeah, I'm I'm totally composed. Yes. But the first thing I should say is that, Richard, we were actually allowed ourselves to say that not cutting the hedges every year was an organic farmer thing. It's not. Yeah, no. It's an environmental <laughs> technique that is promoted by the government through ELS and so on. It's not just organic farmers, so that's the first thing. Sure. The second thing is that when we came to Blakemere, the hedges were about two foot tall and about a foot wide, and it's taken them 20 years to get to the size that they are now. Mm. And can I was, we have
0: the size of the hedge so that listeners can get an idea of what we're talking about?
2: Well, ideally, they're aiming to be are between 8 and 10 foot tall and 4 and 6 foot wide. And what is interesting about your comment is that I would use the same argument to say that's why they are good habitats. They could be thicker and one of the ways that they probably in days of old would have been managed to make them thicker is that they would have been laid. But when we came here it was a farm that had a lot of sheep on them and they had basically had a lot of buds eaten off the bottom of them which is why some of them are not very dense in the bottom. But they're getting better. But in terms of habitat, I've got to disagree with you. Cutting a hedge every year makes them denser. If you cut them at the correct time of year, the plants fruit after you've cut them, and there is loads of fruit on them, and in many ways more than if you don't cut them. And I actually believe that, and if you look at the numbers of birds that nest in them, they are a better habitat by being smooth and cut so that predators can't get into them. Yes, we we haven't finished by any stretch of the imagination, Mm but I can't see that it's right not to trim them every year. And one of the reasons I can see that is down at Preston by the river, where the soil is very good, they grow sufficiently in one year to close a single track lane. Right. So if you left them for three years, you want a chainsaw, not a hedge trimmer. But I come back to the idea that if you cut them at the right time of year, they're healthy hedges, and therefore they're good for everyone.
1: There is another situation, I noticed you, you know, when you mentioned about fruit, hedges fruiting, I mean, for sure hedges are really, really important because they do provide lots and lots of fruit, especially for our migrating birds that we have here in the winter, like uh, field fairs and, uh, mm. and redwings and whatnot, as well as our you know, native species. And there is a situation where this, this relentless flailing of hedges that we seem to have, you know, this kind of consciousness of, of tidiness, um, is is taking away the fruit, and there are you know bird populations are suffering as a consequence, and there has been that is being documented. So it's interesting you, you when you mention about your hedges being cut, what time of year would the, the best time for a hedge to be cut in order for it to fruit
2: more would be? We aim to cut all our hedges, roughly speaking, between the end of July and the beginning of September.
1: Yeah. You see, there is a there's a school of thought that that is the completely the wrong time to cut it because I know there's a school the, the, of thought, but I believe it to be wrong. But there's the very time where <laughs> where there are uh, we'll go we'll go on to something else in minute, But that's the very time where there are lots of butterflies, for instance. They'll lay their little eggs, tiny little eggs, on the tip of a thorn or on the on the end of a bud. And if you cut that hedge in July, then that's it. That's that generation gone.
2: I've got to disagree with you. After you've cut the hedge, you go and look at it. There are still loads of tips of thorns and so on. And the reason that there are is that the hedge is only being cut on new growth. You'll find that our hedges get... It might only be an inch, but they get bigger every year, yeah. and that is the the thing. If you cut a hedge back to the same knot all the time, and you'll see loads of hedges in Herefordshire that this has happened, and they have these gnarled, rough old bits where the, they get trimmed to every year, yeah. I would agree with you, it's bad for everything. But if you trim them correctly, it's no problem at all. And all right, it might be a compromise for the, the butterflies or moths. But if you ruin the hedge, it's a much bigger compromise for everything else, notably all the other wildlife, but also the farmer. It ceases to be any use as a hedge, and after all, he put it there in the first place.
0: You did bring in a little side swipe there by keep mentioning just aesthetic. Don't know which, which I think was quite clever. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, just so that. Well, this is our. I mean, we're all the same,
1: aren't we? It's making sure that everything's tidy all the time. And Phil brought it in. I mean, it is important for Phil to have a tidy
2: farm, which is admirable. Is that the main thing,
0: Phil, for the hedge? No.
2: If you don't trim the hedge, it grows into a sprawling mass, and it's useless as a hedge. But why?
1: Are there examples of hedges having been cut every few years, of the hedge being a perfectly reasonable boundary, perfectly reasonable stock-proof and a a good environment for lots and lots of different species of industry, if that was
2: the case? If the is in circumstances where it grows very vigorously, they will overcome the mistreatment that that gives them. Also, there are types of hedge trimmers, notably with various sort of circular saw-type cutting heads, which do a lot less damage to two- and three-year-old growth than a flail hedge trimmer will. Again, it's appropriate tools for the job, and to some extent, personal choice. I don't mind where other people set their compromises. What I mind is when somebody comes and tells me what compromise I should set when I've thought about the various compromises that make it up.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But well, the thing is, you see, we do tend to agree. <laughs>
0: <laughs> not today, lads. <laughs> On most
1: things. I mean, I, I, and I'm, I'm having problems disagreeing with you. I mean, I'm not entirely convinced. Is that a submission? But, uh, I no. think there's a knockout think, it's definitely coming. definitely not a submission. Definitely not a submission. <laughs> I, I mean, in many, in many respects, I can see exactly where you're coming from. But you are in many respects also saying that there are, you know, there are horses for courses. So in some instances, some of your hedges may be perfectly happy to be left for longer than a year.
2: Well, I I would agree with you for for a number of reasons. There are things like hazelnut and things like that which doesn't make very good hedges. But if you let them grow in an area where it doesn't matter, you don't worry about it, that's not a problem. And we do have areas on the farm where we don't trim the hedges or we only trim the sides or whatever for various reasons. The things I think are much more important is that there is a network of hedges so they all join up and that you look after them and they're healthy. And then they provide, well, wildlife motorways for want of a better... Yeah. Expression. Ding! Last comment. Heather said at the top of this piece that farmers have pushed all the hedges out. I would just like to correct her on that, that more hedges in this country have been lost to road building than anything else.
0: The yeah. knockout punch.
2: You're about <laughs> to be biased though, Heather, cause, obviously because you're married to.
0: <laughs> right, go into your corners, boys, and towel off. Thank you. <laughs> Monty's wiggled in. Bring it on, Monty. The Wiggly Wormcast podcast by Monty. A weekly fact on worms. Mealworms aren't worms at all. They are the larvae of the flower beetle.
1: That was great, Monty. Cheers.
0: Just before we go, have you seen the reviews on iTunes about the Wiggly podcast, Rich?
1: I have. They're brilliant, aren't they?
0: Yep. Must tell the listeners. We've got two reviews. The first one's from John from Clan Roberts. And he gives us four stars, which, as you know, is a galaxy. Right. bit disappointed in that, John. (laughs) He says, it's great, he says, but it's too quiet. That's how he would give us a five star if it was louder. So I wanted to just tell him that the reason that it's quiet on that particular week was because the cat was sat on my microphone. That's right. So sorry about that, everyone. And the the next review we got is from Martin Grant and he gives us five stars and he's put what the iPod is for and it's a glowing report and I promise I didn't send it in. (laughs) It says each podcast from Wiggly is full of great information and sounds like great fun to make. I'm hooked on the Wiggly podcast.
1: Nice words, yeah.
0: So thanks guys, Martin and John, for your reviews.
1: Yeah, cheers, much appreciated.
0: Now, we'd really like you all to review our podcast on the iTunes Music Store, but it's a bit of a toughie to get to. Mm -hmm. So here's your instructions if you can be bothered to go.
1: I need these.
0: Yeah, you had a bit of trouble getting to them, didn't you? Yeah, as always. Right, there's two ways of going. Either go to wigglywigglers.co.uk slash podcasts and click on the subscribe button. Once you've clicked on the subscribe button, you'll see up the Wiggly page and you can then write a review. Otherwise, if you're in the iTunes Music Store, make sure you're in the Music Store, find Wiggly by putting Wiggly into the search button, click on OK, and it'll come up with music and podcasts. Wiggly's is in the podcast, and you need to click on the photo to get to the review button to be able to review the Richard and Heather show from <laughs> Wiggly Wigglers. So it'd be great if you'd go there because... It's really good to have some feedback. And also, I use it all the time in reviews to decide which podcast I'm going to bother to subscribe to. So it'll be good for future listeners.
1: That was brilliantly explained, you know.
0: <laughs> Do you get it now or not?
1: Oh, absolutely, yeah. Excellent. It's clear as mud. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and if you're just streaming this MP3 file or you're just trying one episode, subscribe. Because that way you get the podcast every week and it's much more fun. WigglyWigglers.co.uk slash podcast and if you want to feed back on this podcast to farmer Phil to argue about his head for a row then go to pwg at lowerblakemere.co.uk or if you want to argue with Richard that'd be great
1: Richard at uk.
0: and if you want to say that I would make a lovely a bird that carries around the placard saying number two
1: <laughs> <A lovely bird.
0: laughs> in the in the with your boxing cro- ring cro- top. then <laughs> Then email heather at wigglywigglers.co.uk. We'll talk to you all next week. Hope you've enjoyed the show. And it's goodbye from Lower Blakemere. Goodbye.